Welcome to Not Your Mother's Sex Ed, a podcast that covers all things sexual health and education in a safe and inclusive environment. Made by youth for youth, we're bridging the gaps in our community by breaking down the stereotypical sex ed conversation. You can expect laughter, honesty, and informative conversations. Basically, we've got you covered for everything your mom didn't teach ya. Welcome to an episode of Not Your Mother's Sex Ed, put on by Winnipeg's second rise cohort, sixth rise cohort, a program put on by Apathy is Boring. Today, I'm Jules. My pronouns are they, them. My co-host is Al, and our guest today is Jay. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Alden, Al for short, Sweet. sometimes my I guess, Jay. my pronouns are they, them. I'm happy to join the day uh, party that we're currently having, event. that's also the pronoun I use, and I'm a sexuality educator, among other things. Awesome, it's great to have you. So, as this is a sex ed podcast, the episode of our podcast today focuses on gender identities, and one question we have is, what work do you do at Cirque, or what kind of work does Cirque do in general? Yeah, that's a good question for an intro. Uh, so Cirque in general, S-E-R-C, what that stands for is the Sexuality Education Resource Center. So I often like to say what we do is right in our name. We offer resources and education about sexuality uh, based out of two centers that service pretty much all of Manitoba. And so we set out resources, speak with folks, facilitate conversations, activities, workshops with many different groups, really anyone of any age that kind of wants to speak with us. And mostly what I do is called service provider training. So that's working with someone that when they come to a workshop, they're representing uh, representing their professional selves or lives rather than kind of individually, we would call those community programs or workshops. And so most of the service providers I work with are usually teachers in schools uh, and healthcare providers, but I've worked with unions, I've worked in college classes of many different subjects. If you got a job and sexuality has something to do with it or related at all, uh, I usually end up talking to those folks. Sounds like Cirque has a lot of different resources for the community. For viewers and listeners who may not be familiar with terms like trans and non-binary, what is a general definition of transgender? Okay, yeah, that's a great question. I'm throwing out all this vocab and some people are like, you left me behind. So I think in general, people would use many of the words that we've used in many different ways that are going to be personal to them and their identities. However, kind of a general, maybe textbook definition of transgender would be someone whose gender does not match the sex assignment they were given at birth, uh, whether like fully or in part. So an example of that would be someone when they're born, maybe culturally, maybe medically, you know, a doctor, whatever's on their birth certificate, someone would say this person is fill in the blank, usually male or female though intersex people definitely exist. And later in life, that person, whatever that assignment is, they might be like, nah, that's not me. Or yeah, that's only kind of me. Or 
this system of naming gender just doesn't work for me, period. That's kind of a very general term for uh, what it means to be transgender. And then there's lots of other terms that we use, like non-binary would mean someone that the binary, so two, the like two-gendered system doesn't work for them and for various reasons. So the big two, I call them the Coke and Pepsi of gender, male and female. They're actually very similar, but there's a whole lot other <laughs> that are around. Gender queer would just be someone who considers their gender to be queer. Uh, maybe they don't want to put a label on it. Maybe they consider their gender a mixture of multiple genders or just they use the word queer attached to it to like set themselves apart or outside of societal norms. Two-spirit would be more specific for uh, indigenous peoples of Turtle Island. And that's going to be the definition of that's going to be different nation to nation and person to person through like kind of cultural and spiritual practices and uh, personal beliefs. And then there's like a whole whole bunch of other terminology we could go over as well, but that's just like a super quick fast forward through some of the terms we just used. That's really impressive how you managed to make it so informative and complete while also being very concise, because that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of information. And I, I really resonated with the, that idea of the, the way of naming genders by assigning gender at birth just doesn't work for me. I, I a lot of people will resonate with that. So Jake, can really you give us a, a bit of a grammar lesson? What are pronouns up, like, and why are they school, important? I, like English was my worst category or like subject. One time I wrote a paper and I couldn't figure out how commas work. So I just put a comma after every word because I figured some of these have to be correct. <laughs> I didn't do well on that paper. But anyway, growing up, talking about gender, and I would say within the past few years and definitely currently, pronouns are a big conversation. And suddenly I talk about language all the time and I my understanding of it has come to improve. And so why there's conversations around pronouns right now, I think in English to, and other languages, but seeing that English is the language I speak that we're talking in right now. Pronouns have gender associated with them. And I mentioned other languages, but not all languages have gendered pronouns. But for languages that do, part of it is that binary setup I talked about, like male-female to gendered system that doesn't leave a whole lot of space for other genders that do exist, have exist, and will exist. Language either needs to evolve, change, make space, whatever that is. And I think one of the biggest places is within pronouns. So people carry a lot of identities with them. So non-binary, genderqueer, two-spirit people, all of those folks have other identities as well. Maybe they're religious, maybe, you know, ethnic identities, region, where they're from. Like, there's so many identities However, using English and many other languages, we can't really get away from, you know, using pronouns and gendered language where someone's like, I'm Mennonite. Unless it comes up in conversation, uh, pronouns and those kinds of things that we use very regularly, we don't need to reflect that identity in someone's, uh, in some, in like in language we regularly use. So anyway, we've got pronouns, genders attached, and we're using them quite often. And really quite going back to the English lesson, 
pronouns. I think the official definition is pronouns replace like a a noun or a proper noun. So basically, in other words, that means like when we're talking about someone, that person's name. So for example, if I'm talking about Jules or Al, you know, uh, unless I want to keep saying Al, I'm talking about, I can say they fill in the pronoun instead of repeating that person's name all the time. And so again, unless we want to keep repeating someone's name, um, we need these pr pronouns. That's currently the way the English language works. And so for non-binary folks, uh, for trans folks, for genderqueer, you know, many people use many different pronouns for many different reasons, often to reflect their gender identity, to affirm their gender identity, and also people using the correct pronouns for someone just shows kind of like a basic level of respect. In previous times and kind of dominant culture, you would assume someone's pronoun, you don't ask someone. So we're in a time where there's a movement to really normalizing, asking what someone's pronoun is, sharing pronouns, and then just using whatever that person says. So that could be he, she, they, those are like big three, but there's also like Z. There's a great artist, Justin Vivian Bond, V uses V's middle initial as V's pronoun. So that's why I'm saying V, because that's the middle initial. So I like to think of pronouns like names, because that's what it replaces. And whatever someone tells you their pronoun is, just like use it. And if it seems hard, practice. Yeah, just like names. Names can be hard to pronounce. And you practice to get it right, to show someone respect. I think if we just think about pronouns the same way, it's really not that hard. Yeah, thank you so much for that explanation. That is very helpful, the analogy between learning someone's name and learning someone's pronouns. Uh, shifting gears a bit, how does the current sex ed curriculum here, um, we are on Treaty 1 territory, but specifically, I guess, within the Manitoba sex ed curriculum, how does it cover gender diversity, if at all? Currently, the like human sexuality curriculum for Manitoba, the way it's written, the outcomes are pretty generally worded. And in a way, that's good. You, if you get too specific, right, then that kind of corners teachers in. It doesn't allow them to fully use all of their skills. And with that general language, some of the outcomes, I think there's definitely room to talk about gender diversity within it. For example, I don't know the exact wording, but I think in most grades, there's an outcome that just kind of generally talks about identifying social and cultural influences that affect gender and sexuality. And so that's a pretty general thing. But to me, even just that talk we just had about pronouns, language, culture, all of these pieces influence gender and, and sexuality. So kind of just within that outcome, I think there's plenty of room to talk about uh, gender diversity. However, I think also on the other side, really gender isn't mentioned a whole lot in the outcomes. I think in grade two, there's an outcome that talks about identifying differences and discussing differences between people. And it gives some examples. And one of them is gender. Uh, so again, there in grade two, I think there is ability to talk about gender diversity, but it's never really laid out what gender diversity means. I think in a predominant environment where folks 
are still a little confused about pronouns, when people are still confused, what does transgender or genderqueer mean? I think we do have to be more specific and say those things rather than having finding space within general outcomes to fit the information in. And I'm not trying to put anyone down that's like, oh, I'm not sure what these words mean. I'm just really reflecting that that's kind of the world a lot of people are in and that's okay. And so people are interested in these discussions. They're asking these questions. So I would say one criticism I have of the Manitoba curriculum is that it's, I think it was last updated like 20 years ago about, and you know, the conversations change. We can we can kind of update it, add some wording that will really reflect the conversations that are happening now moving forward. Yeah, I, I can only imagine how revelatory it might have been for me to learn about gender diversity when I was in grade two. I I hope we see a future like that. Yeah, actually, can I add some things to the last one? I think to be a little bit more specific about like what we could add to the curriculum to go a little bit further kind of like I said, we could be more specific. I think there could be specific outcomes. I think there could be specific outcomes in that language. So there could be outcomes listed just about talking about gender and sexual diversity. And I think also it would be important, um, depending on the grade, but most grades to also include the language of power to that and talk about power dynamics and how they relate to gender. There's a lot of research talking about Within sexuality education, if you address gender and power, students are more likely to engage in in the information and retain it longer and like use the skills and knowledge that they learn rather than when gender and power isn't. So there's already like research out there that's like, this is helpful, (laughs) but you can't just be like, gender is a thing, moving on. Um, You have to like add in that power piece. And the other thing I would say too, because like right now, an example, the current curriculum In older grades, there's many outcomes around contraception, which are great. That's something to know about. Uh, Know about what works for you, what doesn't work for you, getting that information about how those things work so you can make a choice. However, there's also a specific outcome that's just about abstinence. And I would say abstinence is great. It's worth talking about. For some students, they're going to use abstinence as a way to avoid unintended pregnancies and STBBIs. So that's sexually transmitted bloodborne infections. So it's definitely a skill, something worth talking about. However, I don't see, I just see that as another option. And why does it need to stand alone? Whereas, yeah, other things like gender diversity, I've, the way I worded it kind of needs to be found, like where's places within the curriculum for it? Because uh, often I think there's an accusation of when talking about diversity that there's like a hidden agenda. But I think our current curriculum has a, an agenda that's like hidden in plain sight. <laughs> so what are the things that are named very specifically? There are a few things in the curriculum that are worth talking about. But I think we should question why they have standalone outcomes uh, when other things don't. Wait, Jay, can I go back a bit and ask you to clarify what you mean by gender and power? Yeah, totally. Okay, I brought in a new concept and you were like, you can't drop that one. So for example, I think education lessons, conversations around diversity are are great. However, I think if it's just like people are different, respect, and then we all walk away, I don't think anyone learns anything from that because I think that's just knowledge alone. We're not looking at what are some skills we can use around that. We're not looking at what are some 
attitudes we need to address. We don't look at what's the current environment we're living in that gives context to such knowledge. So for example, if we're just like, hey, there's more than two genders, you can use these other pronouns. Gender identity is something you feel inside. And so you can't always tell what someone's gender is by looking at them. That's knowledge and like that's good. However, I think we need to currently like look at what are the ramifications say of, there's efforts on it right now, but the last census in Canada did not include non-binary folks. The gender options, there were only two. Uh, So what are the ramifications of making an entire population of people in Canada invisible? Uh, What does that do for the social services needs that like non-binary and like trans, gender non-conforming, two-spirit people need if they're not counted? What does that mean for their health outcomes? Again, I don't think this is the conversation in grade two, but I think there is room to age appropriately talk about what, what does it really mean that there's differences And I think often also too, what doesn't get questioned is what does it mean to be like the dominant class? So if like cisgender males, there is power within that identity. So what does that mean? Like transgender, gender nonconforming folks get othered, gets to be this other category. And I think if we frame conversations in that way, it centers a dominant identity and no one everyone just walks away from that still centering an identity it's like oh i learned a little bit about these other people that's good um, but i think we need to say like what does this othering do what are the skills that we can do to reduce this othering how do i feel about my identity my position of power privilege or oppression and how can I identify these systems of influence and really like make a change if that's something that I want? That was super helpful. Thank you so much. So to move on to the next question, um, what's the difference between gender and sexuality? For this one, I think it depends on how you're using the word sexuality. That means different things to different folks. So I kind of have two ways to answer this in my head. So I'll just answer it both ways. But I'll start with my way I use the word sexuality. Sexuality includes a lot of things to me, like a sexual identity, a way of being part of like who people are. So this could include my body, this could include relationships, this can include like thoughts and feelings, this can relate to identities, this can relate to values and beliefs. For some people it can relate to like spirituality. So I see sexuality as a very big thing. And so if we're talking about sexuality that way, then I would say gender is just a part of it. In that way, the way I view or interact or have a body can inform or impact my gender, the way I think about my gender. My gender can impact relationships. So that could be who I like to spend time with, who I feel things in common with. It could impact like how I name certain relationships based on the genders of other people around me. So in a very holistic way, I would say gender is part of sexuality and related to many pieces of sexuality. However, if people are saying sexuality to mean like sexual orientation or sexual identity, as far as like that identity piece goes, I think there's some overlap, but I think in that case, then there are some differences. Uh, And what I mean by that is gender identity does not determine like what gender, genders, or no gender you're attracted to or not. So those would be two separate categories. However, like for like a non-binary person, words 
like gay and straight are often used to define folks by binary terms. Uh, so it's like, do those words work for non-binary people? And I think in that case, sometimes the language someone uses for their gender can impact the language they use for their sexual identity, sexual orientation, sexual attraction. So there is some overlap there. They do impact each other, but they don't necessarily determine each other. Yeah, so that was really insightful. And I appreciated the two definitions you had for sexuality, especially the more expansive one. That's a new way for me to look at it. So the last question we have is, what does inclusion, generally speaking, look like for um, gender diverse people? So that would be trans, non-binary, gender not conforming, and two-spirit people, plus others. Yeah, like I think one language I've heard is like emerging identities, because there's going to be language that's going to pop up and it's going to change, and that's great. But based off what we, what I was just talking about with that last question, one part about seeing sexuality more like holistically or that bigger picture view of it, I think sometimes there can be like messages out there that are like, oh, like 2ST LGBTQ folks, like that's sexuality, that's private. I don't need to know about that. Like if they just, you know, left it alone and didn't share that with the world, it wouldn't be a problem. Like our other comments like that, that folks may be familiar with or have heard something like along those lines. And one way I would answer this question about kind of inclusion and really push back against comments like that is if we think about sexuality more big picture, more holistic, like I said, gender is a part of sexuality. And I was like kind of zooming out even further, like sexuality is just part of being human and part of having a self and living life. And so that's kind of my long way of getting to like, we need to include these parts of folks and affirm them uh, and celebrate those pieces about people to see people as full human beings. There's many intersecting identities, overlapping identities that every person has. And if we wanna see people as whole people, right? We can't just shut out parts of ourselves and say, oh, that part of you is private. It doesn't matter. I don't wanna know about it. So we need to include whole people. So that's kind of a general idea. And I think as far as like inclusion can look so many different ways, uh, depending on context, there's a lot of, there's some like good things happening in Manitoba right now. For example, shout out to some really great people that have worked really hard through human rights complaints. And now Manitobans, if they were born in Manitoba, they can change their birth certificate to have like an X designation rather than an M or an F for male or female. So for binary, uh, non-binary, like intersex, trans, like two-spirit, many of the lists, those folks can change their birth certificate document. And just recently, MPI has changed it. So now on driver's license in Manitoba, you can also have an X designation in the gender field, or the other option is folks can just have that field be blank. Uh, so no M, F, or X, just a blank. Uh, and so kind of within identity documents, those things are being changed to include folks. Kind of as we were discussing earlier, normalizing, asking, and talking about pronouns. I think that's 
a conversation a lot of folks are having and like because then things are being normalized around that so like that's a, a smaller more general example uh, i think we talked about education uh, the education system that needs to uh, include that and i would say also that's not just for students that that's for non-binary trans gender non-conforming two-spirit teachers as well because they're out there and they're in manitoba and they're facing a lot of discrimination just trying to do their job working with students so it's not just students seeing themselves reflected it's teachers having a healthy work environment and then further from that parents guardians family members that have young people or family members in the school system that interact with teachers that interact with classrooms that interact with administration they also i would say have the right to have like people in their life see their families reflected so i i'm speaking very broadly but i think there's so many things i think in like another big picture i'll speak generally first it's not necessarily my spot to say exactly how this would work since i'm i'm definitely a white person i'm not indigenous but uh, i think that the binary gender binary system is part of colonialism so there's conversations talking about decolonizing right now uh, and thinking about two-spirited people ceremonies traditions culture that have existed like here in treaty one and many other places on turtle island for a long time if people are serious about conversations about decolonizing i would say that the the binary system also has to go <laughs> in many places so speaking about being culturally competent, culturally safe, that would include, you know, many two-spirit people, uh, many like indigiqueer is also a term I've heard, and looking at really what that means for folks as well. And so again, kind of reflecting back on talking about language, there's many other ways of knowing and talking about gender in other languages. And I think there can be a lot of kind of cross-cultural understanding and learning from uh, that can happen rather than kind of a, a top-down one kind of culture viewpoint on gender. So true that the gender binary is part of colonialism and, and tied to patriarchy as well. So yeah, it should go. Well, and I th- oh, I was going to share a more specific example around that. Like one thing I've, I've seen is the Truth and Reconciliation Report a commission report that came out, I don't remember the year, but a few years ago. And um, there were the, the calls to action and there's a, you know, I forget how long the report was, but there's basically like one paragraph about two-spirit people and their experience in residential schools. And a lot of two-spirit folks uh, were like, hey, you know, doing activism, like there should be more <laughs> than one paragraph. And I, I wouldn't say, like, I don't know enough to say that it's like the result of this activism, but if, you know, the report that came out about uh, missing and murdered indigenous women, girls, and two-spirited people, if you look at that report, I think that came out within the past two years, I forget exactly when, um, but looking at that report, it does reflect and speak more diversely about gender, uh, and it's not like a footnote or a paragraph, it's throughout the entire document that takes a wider just lens to gender in general. Uh, So I think, you know, in certain, that's just kind of like uh, an organizational, organizational, but um, 
to kind of related reports, related work uh, that took different kind of gendered lens to, lenses to their work. And um, I think it, looking at the language, you can see the difference between the two. Yeah, that's those are really good examples about the language in those two reports. Well, thank you so much for your time and all your thoughtful answers to our questions. It's been a pleasure being able to interview you and talk to you again. Al, is there anything else you want to add? I, I just want to say thank you so much, Jay. This has been so illuminating. Okay, awesome. I'm so glad to have been able to talk to both of you. Thanks for listening to Not Your Mother's Sex Ed. Let us know what you thought by sharing a review. You can subscribe and share our episodes through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Connect with us on Instagram at nymsexed or notyourmothersexed.com.